the daily lectionary comments for July the 20th. This uh, famous passage from 1 Samuel chapter 3, the call of Samuel. And uh, Acts chapter 16, the second missionary journey uh, gets off in earnest. 1 Samuel chapter 3, very famous chapter. It, the chapter begins um, with the comment that the word of the Lord was very rare in those days and uh, that visions were very infrequent. And the chapter finishes uh, by noting that Samuel was growing in favor of the Lord and that he had become known from Dan to Beersheba, in other words, all throughout the land of, of Israel, that uh, Samuel was a prophet. It says the Lord again appeared to Samuel, which doesn't mean he just appeared one more time. It just meant that this vision that we're, we're going to look at here was not just a one-off. In other words, God is restoring, uh, 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 you know, a regular connection with his people through Samuel. So First uh, Samuel begins uh, where we've we kind of been since Judges, and that is we got the distinct impression that the people were pretty reprobate from top to bottom and pretty apostate. And uh, but God is is going to begin bringing about a restoration, beginning with the temple now. So that's how the chapter begins and ends. In the middle is this um, warm and, uh, and somewhat humorous story about Samuel uh, and, and how the Lord calls him. It says that he was laying down uh, in the tabernacle uh, before the ark. But that, that, that makes it sound like um, that uh, you know, he was right there in the Holy of Holies uh, laying down, but that could not possibly have been priests. Nobody was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And so surely Samuel was not sleeping there. Probably what it, it, it's meaning to say is that Samuel was, was sleeping in the courtyard of the tabernacle in front of the entrance to the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle was the ark. At any rate, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture of, of Samuel's devotion and closeness to the Lord that uh, now gets coupled with the Lord calling him. And the humor in this story, of course, is that the Lord calls to Samuel, and Samuel thinks it's Eli. So Samuel runs to Eli, and Eli thinks Samuel's hearing things, so sends him back uh, to go back down and, and, and sleep again. And this happens not once, not twice, but three times. And finally, on the third time, you have to imagine Samuel's a little confused. Eli then begins to realize what's going on, that, that Samuel is actually hearing, hearing a voice, and uh, he's not hearing anything. Uh, it, it's not just all in his head. And he instructs Samuel with these beautiful words. When you hear him call again, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. What a beautiful thing for every Christian to bear in mind is that when the word of God is to be spoken, uh, our job is to let him speak. Uh, and to listen to those words. At any rate, um, Samuel, it's, it says the Lord came, this is in verse 10, it says the Lord came and stood and called him as at other times. And so the idea is, it says he stood, the Lord stood. So it's not this disembodied voice. It's like the Lord has appeared, uh, presumably as a human being. We can think uh, as most naturally is, uh, is this as a, as a pre-incarnate, uh, appearance of Jesus. But of course we don't know and the text doesn't say, so that's speculative, but we do know that when the Lord came into the world and sort of not only stood but dwelt among us, Jesus was the form that he took 
the man that he was. And so perhaps that was it. At any rate, um, the person calling uh, to Samuel had a form and a voice, and Samuel listened. And then the next morning, again, a little more humor, I guess, sort of gallows humor, I suppose. Samuel didn't want to tell Eli what he had heard because what the Lord had told Samuel, of course, was repeated again, the, the very bad news that God had already told was going to happen to Eli. So Samuel didn't want to say anything, but uh, but Eli prevailed upon him to tell him what, 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 what the voice said, and he does. And of course, this right away tells Eli, yeah, that was the Lord. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, probably wishes it were different news, but nevertheless. One final thing, I, I make a quick comment. Um, Eli is now going to be made an example for all of God's people, and particularly for the priests and the servants of God, uh, that, that we hold an awesome responsibility, not only ourselves to do right and treat the holy things of God as holy things, but also uh, to police others. It's not enough to say, well, I didn't do it, they did it. Um, Eli had a responsibility to control his sons, and he didn't. And as a result, he was, he was culpable too before the Lord. We don't have to assume that Eli forfeits his soul. I, I, I'm not sure that there's much to argue for his sons that they were saved or ever saved, but Eli doesn't seem to have been a faithless man, just a weak man, and in his weakness, he favored his sons even over the Lord. And as you know, our Lord Jesus says, whoever loves even his mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. Well, that's what we have here. Eli favored his sons over the Lord. And so now the Lord is going to make an example for him. Your sons are going to die. Eli is going to die. And the house of Eli is going to cease as a household of, of serving priests. Okay, the second missionary journey begins in earnest now. Um, second missionary journey would have happened around 49 to 51 AD. So it was, it was longer than the first missionary journey, significantly longer. And those would have been about the dates. It was started about 49, finished about 51 AD. It begins with Paul and Silas going back to the congregations that had been established in Galatia under the first missionary journey in order for Paul to deliver to these congregations the, the letter that the Apostolic Council had, had uh, written and also to shore them up and, and uh, encourage them and, and give them whatever instruction they needed. So they go overland. They didn't take the same route as they did in the first missionary journey. They went overland. And so rather than coming to Derby last, they came to Derby first. And so they went to Derby and Lystra and Iconium and presumably Pisidia and Antioch, just basically retracing the routes that they've gone before. It's interesting here is that Paul picks up two individuals that we will become very familiar with as time goes by. In Derby, he picks up a fellow by the name of Timothy. And we know that because it says uh, that uh, Timothy uh, was there and, uh, and joined Paul. I'm going to come back to that in a second. A second individual that was picked up about this time was Luke. Now, the text doesn't say that uh, uh, Paul picked up Luke in this area. But we know that he evidently did because uh, if you look carefully at verse 10, everywhere else up till this time, the text had been using uh, 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 third person pronouns. They, he, so on. Uh, they did this, they went there, they went. Then all of a sudden in verse 10, it says we. 
and us. So that's a little telltale sign that Luke, the author of this, uh, of this uh, book here, has joined Paul and Silas and Timothy also uh, to begin accompanying them in the second missionary journey. So we'll, get, we'll come back to that every now and then. We'll see that there will be additional sections and times when, when Luke will make his presence known by indicating that it is a we or it's an us and I was there and I saw all of this. So that's very interesting. Um, what's also interesting is that Timothy had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. And because he had a Greek father, Timothy was not circumcised. And this was known to everybody there. And this becomes important because Paul, who had been so insistent that you can't, you, you can't if you're going to be bound by circumcision, then be, the Christ is of no use to you, he, he, he would argue. But in the spirit of the apostolic letter, which encouraged uh, uh, the, the, the Christians, the Gentile Christians who observed certain things for the sake of the Jews, Paul had Timothy circumcised. And the reason is not because Timothy needed to be circumcised. He did not. It was not necessary for his own salvation or anything like that. But it was necessary so as not to impede the progress of the gospel among the Jews. Paul would continue to be going to synagogues, and they will know that, that uh, Timothy is uncircumcised, so they won't talk to Timothy, and they won't talk to Paul either. And it's just going to get in the way of the spread of the gospel. So Timothy is not circumcised for his own sake but he's circumcised for the sake of the mission. Now, as things go on, a couple of real quick things. Note that Paul and Silas have plans. They are wanting to go to particular places, and they are mapping out where their missionary journey is going to go. They're being strategic. But it turns out that God also has his plans, and so God keeps thwarting uh, Paul and Silas in where they're planning on going, and in, in, in making it impossible for them to get there, and instead giving Paul a vision, for example, to go up to Macedonia. So that's, Paul finally concludes that that's what the Lord wants, and so they go up to Macedonia. In Macedonia, there's a city called Philippi. Of course, there's a letter to, to uh, the Philippians that we'll, be, we'll talk about at another time. But Philippi was a Roman colony, and when they got there, it says, they went to, uh, on the Sabbath day, they went to the river to look for a place to pray. The reason why they did that is because while large towns would have a synagogue, a small town like this one with a very small Jewish population would not. And it was the practice of Jews where there weren't enough to have a synagogue to uh, have a, a place of prayer by a river. And so that's why... Uh, Paul and Silas sought out a place of prayer, and they found one, and they found a woman by the name of Lydia, who was a Gentile and a God-fearer, and she received the gospel. It says she was baptized and her whole household, so that's uh, uh, wonderful. And then uh, we have another uh, little discussion about um, uh, uh, this servant girl that was following, and I don't have time to get into that, so we'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll see about how Paul throws out the demon from this slave girl and what happens after that. 